Good to be here today. Uh, I'm going to start by praying for us, and then we'll get into this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you that you can be here together, get us your people. And just pray that now you'll be with us as we get to your word, and we pray this in the Son's name. Amen. Well, as humans, we are social beings, and we don't live in isolation. It's important for us to fit in. We like to be with our friends, with our families, at least that we want to see, and other like-minded people. And we all belong to something. It could be a company that we work for, it could be a school that we go to, a sports team, a musical theater, a swimming club, or it could be a country, a family, a church, or even a Facebook group. Some of these we have a choice to join, but some we are born into it, like a family. But sometimes we also get chosen to be in a group. I remember it was in year seven, we have a group assignment for history, and our teacher asked us to form groups of four ourselves. Now, the problem was, our class had 30 people in it. And what is 30 divided by four? Seven and a little bit. And so that means there'll be seven groups and two people would miss out. Anyway, the, les- the next lesson, the teachers asked if anyone was in the group to put their hands up. And two people put their hands up. It was me and someone else. Now, some of another group reluctantly accepted me. He was a bit of a teacher pet. Anyway, he did it only to please the teacher. And I felt so rejected. Have you had that feeling before? You know, it feels good to be chosen. The Bible tells us that we are God's chosen people, and we belong to him. And the good thing about this is, once chosen, God will never, ever reject us. Once chosen, we can't be unchosen. Last week, Alex spoke to us about what God has done for us through Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 1. Today, we'll look at chapter 2 to see who we are, what our identity in Christ is, and how that impacts the way we live our lives here on earth. But before we get into this, who is the most important person in the Christian faith? Who would that be? Jesus. That's right, it will be Jesus. And the Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. See, Jesus died to save us from our sin. He died to take away our sin, and then he came back to life to be our Lord and Savior. Have a look at verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus is the living God. In verse 4 here, Peter described Jesus as the living stone. Christianity is the living religion. It's not based on some rituals, traditions, some buildings, or dead people. Jesus is the foundation of the Christian faith, yet many reject him. God is described as a rock or stone in the Bible. A large rock is firm and secured. Houses built and built on it have a strong foundation. It can withhold the weather, withhold the storm. But Jesus isn't just another rock or stone. Verse 7 describes him as the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important stone of a building. 
It is the foundation stone, the first stone laid, and every stone that follows after it will be laid around it. It is very important for the builder to choose the right stone, the right cornerstone, and to lay it correctly. If an error is made, then the whole building could collapse. Now, what is this building that God is building? It's his church. Remember, the church isn't about a building. We don't have to meet in a church building to be a church. As some of you would know, during the early years of New Life, our church met in Stuart's house, and then met at OPEC, and then at Arm Public School, before God so generously blessed us in the building we are meeting today. See, the church is about the people. It's about the Christians who gather together under the name of Jesus, like you and I. And Jesus is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the church. But we also play an important part in it. Verse 5 tells us this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christians, like you and I, we are the living stones. We're the individual stones that are placed around the cornerstone, around Jesus, to make up of the church. The church is about the individual Christians, like you and I, when we come together, when we're united together to build up the spiritual house, the church here on earth. And it is an awesome privilege to be chosen by God to be his people. Under Jesus, we are all part of God's plan. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Jesus, we didn't choose him, but Jesus chose us and appointed us. So with privilege also comes responsibility. Peter commands us to offer spiritual sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the priests represent the people to offer an animal sacrifice for the people's sin. The animal die in people's place. So the next time they sin, the whole process is repeated over and over and over again. But did God really want their sin offering? Did God really want their sacrifice? He said to his people in Hosea chapter 6, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. God didn't want their sacrifices. Instead, God wants them to obey him. God wants the obedience of heart. His son Jesus had already made the ultimate sacrifice for us by dying for our sin on the cross once for all, for you, for me, and for everyone, those living in the past, in the present, and in the future. So spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God are when we love him and serve him. God wants us to use our time, our talent, and our treasure to serve him, to help people at school, at work, at home, in his land, wherever we go, God wants us to help people and to tell people about him. This is our ministry. In the Old Testament, people couldn't approach God directly. So the function of a priest is to represent God to the people 
and to serve the needs of other people. But no more. Jesus is our high priest. And we, as God's chosen people, we're now a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Peter wrote this letter to the believers living under the Roman government. The Roman government at the time was anything but a Christian government. The Roman culture was anything but a Christian culture. It was a culture that was very different to the Christian culture. They were under intense persecution from both the government and the neighbors. The Christian life isn't always easy. And maybe you are the only one, the only Christian in your family. Maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace. Maybe you're the only Christian in your school, in your class, your group of friends, the only Christian in your team. But we're not alone. At times, people around you might pick on you, might ridicule you, laugh at you for following Jesus, and coming to church on Sundays and doing other churchy stuff, like going to life groups, teaching SRE, or leading youth groups. But 1 Peter said in chapter 1 says this, that these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though we find by fire, might result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's worth it, because unlike this world, when we are promised or chosen for something, we can't be unchosen. When God has chosen us, we can't be unchosen. But sometimes in our world, when we're chosen for something, sometimes we can be unchosen. Sometimes mistakes happen. Here's an example. I've been a member of Virgin Frequent Flyer program since inception. I has four tiers of membership. So the red, silver, gold, and platinum. You start off with red. And the tiers is all about perks. The higher you are, the greater the perks. And you need to fly often to climb the frequent flyer ladder, like very frequent in 12 months. So every 12 months, you need to fly a certain amount of time to climb up. Anyway, <clears throat> a few years ago, I got an email from them saying I've been upgraded to gold for free, despite not having flown with them for the previous 12 months. Now, being a gold member is a big deal. It means I have access to a lot of benefits, like priority check-in and boarding, lunch access, that's an important one, um, personalized baggage tax, bonus point when you fly, and a new membership card. And I thought, it's sort of too good to be true, because I'm someone that they would never pay to upgrade for free. I'd hardly ever fly. But at the same time, I did have a flight coming up with them. I was going to fly to Hong Kong on Virgin Atlantic, which means I have really, really good lunch, and the benefit would really helpful. And it also means I might get upgraded for free, because being um, higher the tier you are, the more likely you get upgraded. And so I started dreaming, and I started making plans that I would get to the airport hours early so that I could make the most of the lunch. I could stay there for hours for the whole day. Anyway, as I was dreaming, three hours later, an email came through, basically saying it was a mistake, and tell me to disregard this email. And it turned out, they sent, somebody sent an email, that email, to every single member on the program. And so they said they just couldn't honor it. You see, unlike Virgin, God would never ever chose us by mistake or taking away our salvation. God would never leave us or abandon us. 
In fact, as God's chosen people, we are very special to Him. Verse 9, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So the Bible describes us as God's special chosen people here on earth. Now, this doesn't mean we can go around and looking down on others, thinking we're better than the rest, because we are not. We did nothing to deserve God's love. But this should give us comfort, God, that God would choose fallen people or sinful people, even us, even me. So as his priests, we'll have direct access to God through Jesus, through the Bible and prayers. And it keeps us humble when we meet with one another and talking to other non-believers because God wants us to show the same grace and mercy to other people that he has shown us. We are a community of Christian believers that made up the church. Christian fellowship is an integral, is an important part of the Christian life. When we come to church, when we do life together with other Christians, we're encouraging one another. We're helping out one another to learn and to grow. We're helping one another to go through the good times together and the tough times together. Let's think about how you two can be a blessing to others in our church. And we want to do this because we have new life in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, it states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We have new life in Jesus. There's a new chapter of our life. Our church is named after new life because it means we have new life in Him through Jesus. A new chapter of life has begun. So as God's chosen people and holy nation here on earth, we need to do things differently. What it means is we need to abstain from sinful desires. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Those things have no place in the Christian life. It's not easy. When I'm wronged by others, my first instinct is to often wish nasty things on them or to start plotting revenge. Or try to think of a very good comeback line, except I'm too, often too late for that, too slow for that. But I have to remind myself that, no, I can't do that as a Christian. I need to act like one. Now, who can tell me who are those two people in the photo? Obama and Joe Hockey. That's right. It's Barack Obama as the U.S. president and Joe Hockey. This photo was taken in 2016 when Joe Hockey was sworn in as the Australian ambassador to the U.S. Now, an ambassador's job is to represent his or her country. Everything they say or they do represent their country. It's a very, very prestigious role. How do you feel when you were chosen to represent your school? Proud? Special? Honor? Or humbled? But now imagine if you were chosen to represent our state or our country. Only very, very few get chosen. You have to be exceptionally good in your field to even have a chance to be considered. Yet the Bible describes us as ambassadors. We are all ambassadors for Jesus. 
It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are Jesus' ambassador in this world. Who is God appealing through us? To our world, to our unbelieving family, our friends, our teammates, our classmates, our colleagues, and our neighbors. Verse 11 describes us that we are foreigners and exiled in this world. This is not our permanent home. We live in a beautiful country, in a beautiful city, but this is not our permanent home. Our true citizenship is in heaven. He said, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We'll be here only for a short while, compared to eternity. A child born today has a life expectancy of about 85 years. But compared to eternity, it is very short. You'll be here for a while, maybe 60, 70, 80, 900 years. Don't get too comfortable. Be in the world, but don't become just like one of them. I just have this question. Can your friend, your family, your classmates, your teammates, or your colleagues see a difference in you? Or do you act just like one of them? You see, our unbelieving friends or families will have any interest in Jesus. But they will form their opinion on Jesus based on you based on your behavior. You could be the only Bible our unbelieving family and friends read. They make up their mind about Jesus based on you. It's scary, isn't it? It's really scary. Peter calls on us to live a good life. It doesn't mean he tells us to do whatever we want to do. It means to live a godly life among the unbelieving world so that while they may ridicule us, belittle us, laugh at us, that they too will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Stay away from temptation. Live like an ambassador for Jesus here on earth. There are four principles that guide our lives in verse 17. is to show proper respect for, to everyone, to love the family of believers, to fear God, and to honor the emperor. You don't have to like the people around you, but you have to love them. We're all created in the image of God. Set yourself a challenge. How do I love the unlovable? Now, one thing Peter covers here is the way we view those in authority. Peter calls on us to submit to them, to every human authority. That means our government, the police, and other emergency services, our boss, our teachers, our coaches, etc. They're all sent by God. God uses different people for his purpose even through non-believers. For example, in the book of Ezra, God used King Cyrus to bring the Israelites back from exile to build a temple. What it means in practice is, we don't have to like their personality, but we have to honor the position. Our God is a God of order. Imagine if there's no government. There'll be anarchy in the world. See, God wants us to respect them because he has allowed government to serve us this way. What it means is we have to respect and obey things such as taxation and traffic law, like speeding and parking fines, etc. God wants us to respect and honor our teachers and our coaches, even when they make unfair decisions. And so as Christians, we are called to live a godly life amongst the non-believing world so that we can glorify him and point people to him. 
In Jesus, we have true freedom to live as his people. We are free from being slaves of sin. We need to pray for those who are in authority. Now, is there a time when we can't obey the earthly authority? Yes, when it means we have to disobey God. Our first allegiance is to God. For example, in the Bible, in Exodus, the Hebrew midwives disobey Pharaoh's command to drown newborn baby boy, or the wise men were told to ignore King Herod and return home by a different way. But there are times we have to disobey our government, but those times are very, very rare, especially compared to our brothers and sisters who are under persecution in parts of the world. For example, this Chinese pastor recently was in the news that he was taken away by the Chinese government because he was preaching the gospel. But he is now fighting for the gospel in a non-violence mean. Sometimes it can be hard for us to live a good life among the unbelieving world. But we have a perfect example to follow. Our Lord Jesus, in verse 21, to this you will call because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And it goes to say that Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges, who judges justly. Jesus, despite being innocent and being the Son of God, he suffered greatly for us to the point of death. But he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. It is by his wounds that we have been healed. We need to remember that God is in control. Jesus fully trusted and obeyed his Father. He trusted God the Father with just justly. Example that we can follow. We need to hand our worries to God because God will ultimately right the wrong. Our church's vision calls us to give and to live the message of new life. When we are living a godly life among the unbelieving world, we are seeking to connect and care for them. We are also called to be a faithful and adventurous Christian, not just here on Sunday or when you're in a life group, but in all areas of our life. We are called to be a faithful Christian. So let's ask yourself a few questions before we finish today. Are you praying and looking for people that God's prepared? And to care for others, what needs have you heard? Can we meet them? And to be a faithful Christian, are you joining God's family on Sunday? And are you in a life group? And finally, to be an adventurous Christian, how is the kingdom shaping your time, your talent, and your treasure? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even when we're sinners, you have chosen us and you save us. We thank you for Jesus, that he died on the cross to take away our sin, and he's alive again to be our Lord and Savior. We pray that you will help us to live as your ambassador here on earth, to show our unbelieving family, our friends, our colleagues, our classmates, or what you're like. Please help us to live a good life here on earth, to live a godly life here on earth. In your son's name we pray. Amen.